What is up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com, which is always popping during the offseason. With that being said, let's get to the content. What is up, divers? Welcome in to Deep Dive Fantasy Football. We had a sick, sick set of 1 o'clock games. But first, if you're listening, congratulations, because there's only one of two possibilities. Both are positive. If you're still listening at this point in the season, you have made the playoffs. Congratulations. Congratulations. Let's take it all the way home. Or, if that's not the case, then... You are tuning in for some dynasty advice, for some betting advice, for some other type of advice that is going to help you other than, you know, week to week for the rest of the season. And that just means you're getting ahead of the game. That means you are setting yourself up for success for the future. So congratulations on that as well. If you are listening, you are doing it the right way. Now, six out of one o'clock games. Yes, it was indeed. More than half of them came down to the very, very end of the game right at the wire. It was mad entertaining it was a great week and as we'll get into later it was one of if not my most accurate start sit weeks in terms of what I talked about on the podcast before which I mean perfect time for that to come and play right week 13 when we all need those dubs and by the way guys by the way you know that league that I've been talking about most points I was 7th seed, I had to win, and I needed somebody to lose that was in front of me. Both happened. My team put up 200, 205 points to get me the win, and then somebody that I needed to lose lost. And now, with the most points, I made it, squeezed into the 6th seed. Hopefully we can make a run now, and it feels good. Feels good. So, hey, never give up, man. Never give up. Always keep pushing in fantasy. And uh, you always have a chance, for sure. With that said, we're going to get into the waiver pickups. I think there's only two clear, clear pickups this week. Because, like I said, the deeper we get into the season, the more dry everything gets. And these two guys, Kiki Kuti and J.D. McKissick. J.D. McKissick, unfortunately, and man, you guys are going to hear it. But unfortunately, Antonio Gibson went down. And um, J.D. McKissick's going to be good. He's going to be really good. We'll talk more about him when we get to that game. But, I mean, with Gibson out the way, McKissick is the number one there in the receiving, bar none, among the running backs. And it's not a team that has leads often, despite playing a great, great game versus Pittsburgh. And then Kiki Kuti, he's the guy who stepped up in Will Fuller's absence. It was not Jordan Akins. It was not some other receiver. It wasn't Isaiah Coulter. It was Kiki Kuti, and we can trust it because we've seen it before with him. When he's been healthy, he has been good in the past. So it's not like a one-hit wonder type of thing that you got to worry about here with Kuti. It's something that I think is sustainable. So those are the two pickups that are on waivers. And, you know, any other guys that are pickups, Cam Akers is another one, but we've been talking about him for weeks now. Uh, Pittman is still somebody you can be picking up. We've been talking about him for weeks now. Colin Johnson in a super deep league. This would be the second week talking about him. So, I mean, other than just the mainstay guys at this point, those are the two new ones. So that's what I got for the waivers. And before we get into what we learned, I got to plug, got to plug the merch one more time. You guys have been amazing. I already went through my first shipment and sold out on the first shipment the new shipment is on the way in that shipment includes a black hat with white logo and a black beanie on the way as well with a white logo so we're gonna see how those uh how those look but the thing is is i want to see how good they are before i order a whole bunch of them so mainly the shipment that's coming in is all the is more white hats which i think is always going to be the cleanest but i had to get one of each of the black because i wanted to make sure before i dropped a lot of money on uh, a whole bunch of shipments on the black that it looks really good but i'll post pictures and uh, if you guys are interested in the black let me know too and with that said we can get started with what we learned we're starting with the falcons saints game the two enemies in my own division and the falcons offense is struggling it does not look good i mean you might want some crazy analysis 
but I'm not going to give it to you because all I got to say is their offense doesn't look good. Matt Ryan is part of the problem. 100% he is part of the problem overall. But he did play a lot better than you would think if you just look at his stats versus the Saints in this game. There were a lot of drop balls. And guys, I know I've been saying this all season. This season has been horrible with how many balls are being dropped. And I mean, a lot of people like to chalk it up to, you know, COVID and not a lot of practice. And man, you don't need practice to learn how to catch a football. You are a professional football player. I don't know what's going on this season. It is super ridiculous. And this week was by far the worst one um, with multiple games having more than six drops and that's six legit drops not six drops by my standards my standards are a little tougher but like the actual stat standards are you know a little you know it has to be a little more obvious for it to count as a drop and there were multiple games with more than six so super bad week in that department and Matt Ryan would had no help he had no help from his receivers Calvin Ridley dropped multiple passes on key crucial times of the game and you know, he wasn't the only one. Russell Gage, I think, had like two bad drops as well, maybe even three. It was just tough for Matt Ryan. He was making some good good plays. And you guys know I'm one that doesn't hold back on guys. I think they're not performing, but I think Matt Ryan had a pretty good day. And it just doesn't look like it because everyone screwed him over, basically, on his in his receiving core. And Julio's been banged up. But aside from the Falcons, I mean, we know you don't really want to touch their running backs. We've been talking about this forever. That run game is very undesirable, in case you haven't caught on. And that brings us to the Saints. Kamara still not getting targeted by Hill. I believe I saw that seven yards receiving in three games with Taysom Hill. But the good thing is, is that Drew Brees is expected back either this coming week or the next week to play the Chiefs. So if it's not this coming week, which I believe they're playing the Eagles, then it will be the next week versus the Chiefs. You better believe it because they want to beat the Chiefs. And the Saints are fighting for the number one seed. The Chiefs are fighting for the number one seed. That is going to be a heavyweight fight. And I definitely think the Chiefs are going to pull it out. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, Sean Payton is in the running for Coach of the Year for sure, especially with what he has been doing with Drew Brees being injured, Michael Thomas being out for a lot of the year, all of you know the star players that have been missing for the Saints, and he still brought them in nine games, nine wins straight, all the way up to ten and two. It is now because they did have their bye week, yeah. So they are ten and two. But I mean, fantasy takeaways wise, we don't have have much to worry about here with the Saints because Brees will be back. If Taysom Hill is the starter next week versus the Eagles. That's not a great matchup for Kamara, but you're still firing Kamara into your starting lineups unless you were loaded at running back. And receiver-wise, Michael Thomas is the only one you want there. Michael Thomas has been pretty decent with Taysom Hill, and Hill's been throwing the ball a lot more than I would have expected. So that's the takeaways there in that game. Then we got the Vikings-Jaguars. So clutch time, in clutch time, Mike Glennon goes to who? Goes to who? My guy, Colin Johnson, twice. Twice. Not only that, but Colin Johnson led in receiving yards for the Jaguars. Four receptions for 66 yards. So, leading receiver for Mike Glennon and the go-to guy in clutch time when they're trying to win the game on their last drive to put it into overtime. He gets a crucial, crucial catch to put them at about like the 8 or 5 yard line. And then he also gets the 2-point conversion after they score the touchdown. So, Hey, keep your eye on keep your eye on Colin. And if, if you got him in a dynasty league or if he's on a waiver, he definitely needs to be rostered. Alright, he's a big guy. He's not a guy that I think is gonna develop into like a very good wide receiver, but he's somebody that could definitely be a very good role player for that offense. And if he just ends up being the guy there with DJ Chark and LaVisca Chanel and that ends up being their trio, that's a very decent trio. You've got a good balanced uh, skill set there among that trio. You've got Colin Johnson with the tall guy who can win the 50-50 balls, pose a very good red zone threat. You've got DJ Chark with the speed, the downfield threat, and decent route running. And then you got LaVisca, who is a Swiss army knife and can do everything, including taking jet sweeps, taking carries, whatever you want him to do, basically. Very tough guy as well. That's going to be a nice receiving core. And also something to keep an eye on because we know Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be there next year. And Honestly, the Jags and the Jets are not bad situations. I mean, we just went through the Jets, or I mean the Jaguars, and also didn't even mention James Robinson. And then the Jets have Mims, 
Maybe they re-sign Perriman, but even if not, they have Mims. They have Makai Becton at left tackle, which is developing and probably going to be one of the best left tackles in the game for a while. Then Jamison Crowder and Chris Herndon, who I think will be very good once he actually gets to run routes and is not set blocking half the time by a much more competent coaching staff than Adam Gase. But we'll get into the Jets later on. Other than Colin Johnson in this game, Minchu, Gardner Minchu, is not the only quarterback DJ Chark seems to be off with. And so I know I was just talking about how DJ Chark is a good piece in the future for the offense, but I do have to admit I am going to need to do a deep dive on DJ Chark or find somebody else that is doing one and relay the information to you guys on DJ Chark because it seemed like Minchu and Chark, it was the problem there. That was the connection that was missing. But DJ Chark has also not been doing good with Glennon, and everyone else seemed to be doing fine with Glennon. Everybody else seemed to be doing fine with Minchu except for Chark. So, I mean, even even Glennon's game-sealing interception was the fault of either him or DJ Chark, but it was the fault of the connection or lack of the connection between those two because DJ Chark did not go where Glennon thought he was going, and he threw an interception, which sealed the game in overtime, let the Vikings win the game, and also DJ Chark's line, seven targets, only two receptions. So it's very concerning. I'm... I wouldn't say very. I'll pull back on that word choice a little bit, and I'll just say it's something to look at because we saw a great season from Chark, and then something something's going on this year, and you know he's going to finish with a, a very bad year this year. That's two out of three to start off his career. That's not great for uh, future prospects, so we're going to have to take a look at that in the offseason. And on the other side of the ball, for the Vikings, tough day for Dalvin Cook owners. He, he was... Good. I mean, he was great. He had a 24-point game, but so many goal line carries with no touchdowns. And he had a fumble, so that could have easily been a 35-point game from Dalvin Cook. And, you know, with as many people that were started at such a high percentage with Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, just so many guys that disappointed this week, Dalvin Cook, if you had him and you had one of those people that disappointed, he could have saved you. And maybe he didn't because of those lack of touchdowns. But obviously, that's not really on him. It's just a rough game, rough circumstance, and uh, a little bit of bad luck. I mean, the fumble, you could say that was on him. But hey, still still a good game for Cook. Not worried about Cook moving forward. I mean, it's the Vikings offense. We know what the Vikings offense is. It's Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. And the passing game was great with um, Kirk Cousins. Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen all going over 20 fantasy points. So great day for them. And I saw somebody was like freaking out after the first half. He was complaining because everyone was telling him, start Kirk Cousins this week in a good matchup. And then Kirk Cousins went off in the second half. Never give your hopes up that early into a matchup. Never do that because football, all it takes is one play. All it takes is one play or all it takes is a halftime adjustment. And the rest of the, the next half looks completely different for a team. So Come on, at one at one half, come on, guys. We got to be better than that. Don't be freaking out too early. Then we got the Bengals-Dolphins. Guys, my boy, my boy, duh, I should say. Xavier Howard and Tyler Boyd, the ejection was ridiculous. This is a soft league, man. You've got to be kidding me. Okay, first off, if you want to eject somebody, it should only be Xavier Howard. He actually threw a punch. Boyd didn't. Boyd, like, pushed somebody off of him and contacted the helmet but he didn't like swing i mean come on guys you guys are ejecting these guys for nothing this is football man this is football but aside from that let's talk about Devonte parker because Devonte parker was getting some decent fade balls in the end zone from tuataga Bailoa. i mean he's got I, I counted i believe i counted um and this is something you can always look up and check via pro football reference but I believe I counted four targets, not in the red zone, in the end zone. Four end zone targets. Devontae Parker came up with none of them. And it's possibly because of William Jackson. William Jackson is a corner for the Cincinnati Bengals. And because the Bengals are not very good, which the announcer pointed out, which was a very good point, and I am relaying this information, William Jackson does not get a lot of respect, and I know exactly why, because he's on a team that has been bad for a while, just like Levante David. Real football, diehards, new Levante David, has been one of the best linebackers in the league since he's come into the league. 
yet he never really got the respect. Why? Because he was always on a bad Bucks team. And, you know, if the Bucks end up making a dent in the playoffs this year, everyone's going to be talking about Levante David and that defense. And, you know, when the Bengals finally get good, if they still got William Jackson, it's going to be the same type of situation there. William Jackson is a corner that gives wide receivers fits, and he is a stay-away corner in fantasy football. The only problem is William Jackson doesn't always just shadow guys, and that's why it's hard to just say straight up, sit Devontae Parker. Like, especially if Ryan Fitzpatrick was starting, there's no way I would have said sit Devontae Parker because I don't know if William Jackson's going to be on him the whole time. Maybe he just plays on his side. Maybe he does follow Parker. He's not somebody that's always just deployed the same way. So, you know, he's not like a Jalen Ramsey where even though Jalen Ramsey, when they played the Seahawks, said he wasn't going to be on DK, he was on DK like a lot of us predicted before he made that comment. It's not like that with William Jackson, but he is a very good corner in pretty much most aspects of the game. So just keep your eye on that. When you got only one good wide receiver on a team versus Cincinnati, maybe lower your expectations a little bit. Then we got Mike Kosicki. He sucks at creating separation. See, don't don't freak out. You heard me say he sucks, and you were like, Brandon, what do you mean? Did you see that catch? Yes, I did. He sucks at creating separation, but boy, that guy can catch. Whoo! He's got some hands, and it was refreshing to see with as many drops I've been seeing recently in this in this uh, season. Gasicki had a super nice stretched out one-hander in contact. It was dirty. And it's very interesting to me because you guys have heard me talk about Tua and the type of receivers he's been used to throwing to always being the separators. And Gasicki is the exact opposite of that. That's part of the reason why I think Tua has had trouble really truly targeting him as a main go-to guy. But he did so in this game including in the red zone, and it worked out very well. He's just throwing 50-50 balls up to Gesicki. Here's the thing, though. I believe that if you have Gesicki in a dynasty league, you should sell him. And here's why. Right now, somebody looks at the Dolphins, right? They see Gesicki on that team. Gesicki's young. Tua is a good quarterback who looks like he's going to be good in the future and is young. Devontae Parker, he might not be on the team for much longer. He will be there next year, but I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Devontae Parker. Preston Williams has been in and out and in and out and up and down and looked good at times and looked bad at times. So Gesicki, no matter which way you look at it, might be a huge part of this offense, which may be true, but I think he might be a good sell if you find somebody with that mentality. If somebody thinks he's a top eight tight end in Dynasty, because when Tua does get those guys that separate, Right now, he doesn't have them, and that's the problem with Miami's offense. Devontae Parker is not a separator. Preston Williams, when he's on the field, is not a separator. Gesicki is not a separator. Those are the three main targets. Once he gets his separators, and I believe that will be this offseason, they will be drafting a wide receiver. I can almost guarantee it inside the top two rounds. And if not, it's because they got either a very nice wide receiver via a trade or signed a free agent. I will be looking at the free agents more uh, in depth and everything, and I'll be able to hint at that stuff later on once the season is over, the fantasy season. Um, That's one of the podcasts that I like to run out a lot is, you know, free agents, possible destinations, stuff like that. So keep an eye out for that in the offseason. But, um, man, I lost my train of thought for a second. One second. Let me get it back. Um, Yeah, so if they don't draft a receiver, it's because they got one, right, in free agency. But I don't know who's going to be available via free agency, but it also could be through a trade. And once he gets those guys, I do think Gasicki is going to be somebody he does not target often, and he will become that boomer bust, touchdown-dependent tight end like so many in the league. Because, look, you, you're you fine throwing up a 50-50 ball in the in the red zone and putting it where you know your tight end can get it or nobody gets it, sure. And that'll make Gasicki boomer bust, but... If he's got separators, Tua's got separators to throw the ball to, Gasicki's not going to be a popular target between the 20s, and he's not going to be consistent. So if you can get a good price on Gasicki, and you know if you're not if you're struggling on what I think is a good price, hit me up. Slide in the DMs. I will answer you. I always am good with responses. Sometimes it takes a little bit, but usually not. And with that said, that's my analysis on the Dolphins. Moving over to the Bengals. T. Higgins was pretty good, considering the Bengals passed only 27 times. Usually, the Bengals are in the 40-plus 
pass attempt range, and I believe they will be in that range for the next couple of years because that defense is far ways away from being good enough to not make the Bengals throw the ball that much, uh, that ball that much, especially considering the offenses they're going toe to toe with in their division, with how good the Browns have become in putting up points on the board with Chubb and Hunt. And Hunt did get resigned, and Chubb will definitely be on that team for the long haul. And I, at least I believe so. And then you have Lamar Jackson, who, yes, it's a, off, it's a bad season so far offensively compared to last year, but they're going to bounce back. Lamar is a dynamic player. They just need to get in some separators and a better play caller for offense. Um, and then the Steelers. The Steelers have amazing wide receivers. So they have definitely offenses that are going to be putting up points on them. And that's part of the reason why I love the Bengals is not only because I just love the talent of Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins and Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon, but also because I, I realize the situation they're in, which is always important in fantasy football, right? I, I, I am a firm believer of like talent being 50% of output and situation or context or whatever word you want to use being the other 50% of the output. You need the perfect combination for somebody to truly be great in fantasy football. And moving off of T. Higgins, which by the way, he did have off just the 27 pass attempts, uh, a good day because he still had over a 25% target share. And that's what we love to see. That is wide receiver one elite target share numbers, elite target share numbers. I'll say it again for the people in the back, because I'm telling you, T. Higgins is a top 12 dynasty wide receiver, and he is not priced that way. And he will not be priced that way, especially this offseason, if news comes out that Joe Burrow is not going to be back till week five or six. And that is going to be an extreme buy window for me on both Boyd and Higgins when that probably inevitably happens. Then we also have actually one person I forgot to touch on, Gaskin. He's still a workhorse, guys, for the Dolphins. 23 touches. He will help the teams that are still alive in the playoffs or going into the playoffs immensely, immensely. He has, in his next three matchups, two average defenses and one really, really juicy matchup. So that's going to be great considering the touches he's getting. He looked fine. Doesn't look like he's, you know, hampered by any injuries that he suffered. So Gaskin, fire him up. Rest away. Then we got the Colts versus the Texans. Definitely not how I thought Taylor was going to have the good day that I predicted, which he did end up having. A little weird. Naheem Hines gets the rushing touchdown. Jonathan Taylor gets the receiving touchdown. I mean, that just made me laugh. Like, I mean, when you when you think that they the Colts might finally be making sense of the running back room, it still doesn't make sense, even though it makes sense at the same time. What does that mean, Brandon? I don't even know, man. Go ask Frank Reich. But Jonathan Taylor, at this point, I think you can start him because he still got um, over 15 touches in the game. So looking good, looking better for sure than he did in the beginning of the season and a really nice schedule moving forward. Jonathan Taylor is going to be a start. And one positive, I mean, I wouldn't say this is a positive, but one thing that makes it easier for me on that most points team, it's like the team I focus on the most because it's like the the league I've been in the longest, like one of the leagues I first started fantasy football in, and it's the only one that still exists that I ever started. So, um, I mean, that's why I love it so much despite it, be, it being like the one I always have the worst luck in every year. But that was the one where I was telling you guys about that decision I had to make with Antonio Gibson or Jonathan Taylor. I ended up going Jonathan Taylor, which was awesome. Um, and even if Gibson played the whole time, I don't think he would have gotten over 20 points. So I think I made the right call there starting Jonathan Taylor versus the, uh, the horrible Texans defense. But with Antonio Gibson out, I will be able to fire up Taylor rest of season because I would have had to make that decision every single week, which would which would have been very frustrating. Um, so I guess that's one positive, uh, probably not the best word choice of Antonio Gibson's injury. But yeah, I mean, it sucks because I have him everywhere and he's great. And I really believe that he can have a huge jump uh, next offseason. But honestly, this is just another buy window that's opening, you know, in the offseason. If somebody doesn't view him or if the ECR, that's expert consensus ranking. If the ECR and just overall outlook in the fantasy community is that he is not a top 12 running back, then you need to go get him because he is definitely a top 12 running back. And he could easily, easily, we've talked about this before, see a CMC-like workload jump from this year to next year if he takes over the receptions from JD McKissick, who is just a guy. All right. 
Then the Texans had Kiki Kuti, who we talked about, step up. T.Y. Hilton on the other side of the ball for the Colts also really stepped up. He just resurrected his season when we were all done with him. Perfect timing. Fantasy football. That's how it is, man. Jonathan Taylor did get more than 50% of the carries as well, but most of them didn't come till the second half, so that was a little worrying. But like I said, he did have that receiving touchdown, which was, which was redeeming as well. And David Johnson was saved by a touchdown, and he only got 10 points. Other than games where Texans are super heavy favorites, and I'm talking about in Vegas, that's always something to look at. If the Texans are favored a lot in a game, all right, if you want to start David Johnson, go for it. But I don't have much interest in David Johnson in games where the Texans are not projected to dominate because he's not getting the receptions. Duke Johnson was actually getting some receptions in uh, Fuller's absence. That's going to be something interesting to watch, but honestly not really because Duke doesn't get the carries. So neither of the D. Johnsons in Houston I have any interest in the rest of the season unless David Johnson is in a super projected positive game script in Vegas. Then we got the Browns Titans. Donovan Peoples Jones, 75 yard touchdown with a beautiful, beautiful, I say so myself, stop and go route. Let's go, baby. My boy, my boy. Baker Mayfield was accurate in this game. Wow. And looked like rookie form Baker Mayfield, which is great. A 147 quarterback rating in this game. Great played or great play call by Stefanski this entire game. His play calling was magnificent. And Baker Mayfield was accurate and had, you know, it was just a perfect mix. And I don't remember who said this, but somebody said, uh, I think it was Ben from the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. Um, him and Trevor, Trevor Sikama is a guy from uh, Tampa. He used to be a beat writer for Tampa. That's what made me go to listen to Locked On Draft Podcast, which is pretty cool. If you want to check it out, go for it. Um, Trevor Sikama and Benjamin Solak. There it is. I couldn't remember his last name. Solak. And they're, they're super funny guys. And Ben was talking about how this pairing between Stefanski and Baker Mayfield is like the 2018 version of Jared Goff and Sean McVay. And I think that is amazing because Baker had a bad year last year he hasn't had a great year this year but when Stefanski's calling plays perfectly is if he's making the right play call Baker can get it done just like when Sean McVay's calling a perfect game and is making the right play calls Jared Goff's able to get it done and if the play call is not good and the quarterback has the weight on his shoulders whether it's Baker Mayfield or Jared Goff they both struggle so I thought that was a cool comparison just shout out to him for you know, a really good comparison, and I just want to tell you guys about it. And I'm not worried about uh, Hunt and Chubb, despite the fact that they combined for a sub-30 point game. I mean, which is still good to have two running backs from the same team get almost 30 points, but for Chubb and Hunt, for the Chubb and Hunt, the Browns running back standard, that is very unusual. That does not happen much, and I'm honestly not worried about it, because Baker was hot and exposing Tennessee, and like we just talked about, Stefanski was feeling himself. So that's how they played it. When it's working, why, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If the passing game was killing it, just stay with the passing game. Let Baker keep, you know, gaining confidence, which is super important going into next week's huge game versus the Ravens. And to try and just bury them and end their playoff hopes. And also elevate yourself over a team that beat you earlier in the season, one of the only teams you've lost to. And set yourself up nicely for the playoffs as well. So, hey. And honestly, actually, with the Steelers just losing, the Browns are two games back behind the Steelers. But they get to play the Steelers. So if they beat the Steelers, it's a one-game difference. Therefore, it is possible that the Browns can win this division. If they beat the Steelers and they you know, win out and the Steelers drop another game other than the one to the Browns, hey, the Browns have a shot at winning the division. Super, super entertaining down the stretch hopefully and aside from that we got aj brown got hurt he returned not a great game though Corey davis did have a great day still not trusting him Jonu smith is out aj brown was hurt and the tennessee titans passed the ball 45 times that is why i'm not trusting or buying into Corey davis all right he had over 10 targets in this game 
and with Jonu Smith being out, AJ Brown being hurt, and the Titans passing about third no about fifty percent more because they're usually around thirty pass attempts at forty five pass attempts. That's half of thirty, right? So that's a fifty percent increase compared to usual, and you have people out that are usually your main targets. That's why Corey Davis did good in this matchup. I do not expect that stuff moving forward. So no, I am not super excited about Corey Davis. Then we got the Bears versus the Lions. David Montgomery is delivering consistently now with the easy schedule. And he was an easy buy for me to spot when I told you guys way back when. Six weeks ago, was it maybe? Five, six weeks ago. Go buy David Montgomery. Go buy Allen Robinson. Their schedule is amazing. And David Montgomery is going to be in that top 15 running back range he has been and he was until i believe aaron jones the number one scoring running back on the week in this week david montgomery you can just lock him into your lineups unless you're loaded at running back because he's getting the touches he is gaining the confidence and he has the easy schedule to pair so great situation for monty moving forward i really love him and he is definitely paying off as a buy for us earlier in the season Adrian Peterson had another multi-touchdown game. If Swift continues to be out, I guess you can just plug in Peterson. I mean, he is their red zone running back. And he is the guy that they're just giving the ball to at the goal line. It's not on Johnson. So Adrian Peterson is kind of similar to a Wayne Gallman right now. Uh, although Wayne Gallman is definitely playing a lot better. But hey, while Swift is out, Peterson is a fine running back. Hopefully... This does not affect DeAndre Swift's red zone work when he gets back healthy because if they're looking at Adrian Peterson, they're like, hey, four touchdowns, last two games. He's been pretty decent at the goal line. He's a strong guy, big guy. He's a vet. He knows where to go, what he's doing. Hopefully, all of that does not equal in their mind, hey, maybe he should still get the goal line carries because if that is the case, DeAndre Swift is going to be hurt. And I really hope that's not the case. I'm not saying I think that's going to be the case, but it's something to monitor. TJ Hawkinson continues his consistency. Six of his last seven games, he's had 10 points or more. That is extremely valuable for the tight end position. And most of the time, it's not off the back of a touchdown either. It's because he's getting the targets, he's getting the receptions, and I cannot wait for this guy to break out next year. Marvin Jones also had a great day. 12 targets, 8 receptions, 116 yards, and a touchdown. The worst game that Marvin Jones has had since week 6 was 8.5 points. Since week 6, we are now moving into week 14. So, since 8 weeks ago, he has never had a game lower than 8.5 points. He is a absolutely great flex that nobody is talking about and I don't know what's going on with Kenny Galladay because every week seems like the week he might be back and it's not and if Kenny Galladay just ends up sitting the season or whatever every week he's out Marvin Jones is 100% somebody that should be in your lineup once again of course with the caveat unless you are loaded at wide receiver now instead of running back then we got the Jets versus the Raiders but before we get to them we got this What's up, divers? Just taking a quick second to say check out Thrive Fantasy, where you can use my promo code DEEPDIVE, and they will match your deposit up to $50. You can bet on over-unders for players' stats, and it's a simple concept to win money. Just do better than half of the opponents, and you win. It's a really cool alternative to fantasy football. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, take a second to pause the podcast right here and drop me a rating or review. That's right, pause it right here. Lastly, if you're feeling super generous, you can choose to support the podcast monthly through the link on the episode page or found in the website podcast section. With that being said, as you know, let's get back to the content. And we're back. Jets Raiders, Denzel Mims. He was looking good despite the three targets only, but for fantasy purposes, he did not come through with only two catches and 40 yards. That was rough. But he is looking good, guys. So I am very optimistic for his dynasty outlook. Sam Darnold still holds potential. He did not look bad either. Two passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown. And the Jets only passed 23 times. And because of that, there's not many takeaways. Guys, do not overthink. Jamison Crowder, because he had two touchdowns in this game. This was his first good game since week 
five of the NFL season. So please don't overthink Jameson Crowder. He is not back. He is not his the PPR stud that we have known and loved for like the past three years. All right, Mims and Perryman are still hurting him. Don't just fall into the touchdown trap. Ty Johnson looked really good for the Jets in place of Frank Gore once Gore went down with the concussion. But honestly, it's not a backfield I'm touching, so I have no interest in Ty Johnson. He would be somebody in most people waiver in most people's waiver wire columns, but he's not in mine because I have no interest in the Jets running backs. Devontae Booker was the trap play I thought he was. So many people were fire up Devontae Booker. Devontae Booker's an RB1 top 12, top 10 this week versus the Jets. The Jets are trash. Guys, Josh Jacobs has been frustrating all season. Josh Jacobs is three times the player that Devontae Booker wishes Devontae Booker could be. And Josh Jacobs has been inconsistent and frustrating. Why would Devontae Booker all of a sudden be way better? Plus, plus people look at the Jets and, oh, the Jets suck. The Jets are trash. The Jets have been top 10 in the league versus the run. And the Jets have allowed something like two rushing touchdowns in the last six weeks to running backs. So that was not a good matchup. And everyone saying, start Devontae Booker. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to smack talk, but come on, guys. Come on, guys. And I'm not talking to the listeners here. I'm talking to all the other, you know, podcasters and whatnot out there. We got to do better than that because there were so many things pointing to Booker being a trap play. And if you asked me, if you DM me, I told you he was. And yeah, sub five points, not good at all. Nelson Aguilar led the wide receivers in targets, but you can't trust him. His points are very erratic and touchdown dependent. If you look at his game to game uh, fantasy points and what's correlating with it, it's always touchdowns, which obviously somebody's going to do better when they have a touchdown, Brandon. Yes, I know. But when he doesn't have the touchdown, he does really bad. So no thank you. I'm not going to throw out Nelson Aguilar, who is in a wide receiver room with a bunch of guys that could be the one on any given week between him, Renfro, Ruggs, and none of them will ever be the number one over Waller. So I'm not somebody that really will ever want to trot out Aguilar. And speaking of Waller, he is an absolute monster. 17 targets and he did me well he is one of the guys on that team that I needed to uh win the most points fielded team with the 200 point game this week and it was mainly because of Waller and Adams Darren Waller monster game 17 targets 13 receptions 200 yards and two touchdowns Henry Ruggs makes his draft selection pay off with a game winner after turnovers in the games and I say turnovers plural because two of them were on him he had a fumble and he also had what should have been a catch popped up into the air that became an interception so he did make up for it with the game winner at the end but I mean let's look at that for a second right like let's pause and look at that for a second so obviously Greg Williams got fired um and actually I'm not gonna say obviously because I wouldn't have been surprised if they kept him through the season because clearly Jets management is keeping Adam Gase and staff purposely to tank, um, which Greg Williams did a, a great job of doing, which, by the way, everyone that says, hey, uh, you know, the reason that that happened, the reason that the Jets did a cover zero blitz, which means that they've got corners man-to-man against the wide receivers and are blitzing everyone else, and everyone's got a – basically all the corners are on, are on an island with one-on-one matchups when the only play that can win the game for the Raiders is a touchdown, right? That never, never gets called. That defense, you will never see that play call for a defense get called in that situation of an NFL game except from Greg Williams, which is why he got fired. But a lot of people are like, oh yeah, he did that because he and the Jets are trying to tank. But Greg Williams clearly had no business and like he had no incentive to tank and to lose that game for the Jets. He's not the head coach and 
even Adam Gase is not going to be there next year. Nobody on this coaching staff, most likely, is going to be there next year. They have no reason to lose a game. They have no reason to do something that makes them look like an idiot and makes it hard for them to get a job in the future. So, no, they were not tanking. Greg Williams is really just that bad. But I, w- I do wonder, I do wonder, and I, I don't think this is the case, but it's, it's an interesting talking point. What are the chances that the cornerback for the Jets was told to let Ruggs score? Or what if he just let Ruggs score because he realizes he's a rookie corner, he's going to be stuck on the Jets, and he wants a good quarterback and to be possibly on a good team. Now, obviously, I don't think this is happening, and the more I talk about it, the more I realize I think it's pointless to even say, but hey, that was something that crossed my mind. There you go. There's a little insight into my mind. Sometimes I think about things that don't matter. That's one of them. But otherwise, I mean, that was just... A horrible IQ play. The Raiders needed a touchdown. So, all right. First off, yes, horrible play call by Greg Williams. But also, but also, if you're a corner, if you're that Raiders corner, you know, or I mean the Jets corner, you know the only way you lose that game is if they score a touchdown. Why are you biting on a stop and go from Henry Ruggs? Henry Ruggs chops his feet, acts like he's going to go out to the sideline. That, that's going to end the game. You let him have that. Instead, the corner sh- tries to slow down and come up to stop that. Ruggs gets him. Boom. Gotcha. All the way down the sideline. Mad separation from a guy who runs a 4-2-7, obviously, and scores. If you're a corner in that situation, sure, you should have safety help. And yes, Greg Williams, all-time one of the worst play calls ever. And you should not be in that situation. But you also should have the IQ as an NFL player to know don't let Henry Ruggs go to the end zone. You need to be giving him 10 yards of space. And basically, once the ball is hiked, you should just be running to the end zone. But nevertheless, it's the New York Jets. So what do you expect? Now we got the Giants-Seahawks. Yikes. The Giants are 5-2 and two in their last seven games. Bet you didn't know that. And if you did, props to you. So maybe they have a decent team after all. And all of... <sighs> I'm trying to think of the best way to put this because it's weird. It's weird as a Giants fan. But you probably don't want to make the playoffs, right? I mean, okay, you make the playoffs. Great. You're not going to do any damage in the playoffs. And the biggest problem for this Giants team, so they're 5-2 and two in their last seven games. They just took down the Seahawks. Their defense has been playing better. Joe Judge seems to be no, seems to be doing or at least knows what he's... Oh, my goodness. Seems to be looking like he knows what he's doing. That's what I was trying to say. Um, But the biggest problem here is the quarterback position, Daniel Jones. And making the playoffs does not help you fix that problem at all, actually. And it's funny because Daniel Jones sitting on the sideline is helping them not get rid of Daniel Jones because Colt McCoy just won them that game versus Seahawks. So very interesting situation here because... The Giants might win the division with a losing record. And if they don't win the division, then they have a super high draft pick because they have a losing record. And if they win the division, they're in the playoffs, which automatically means they can't have a pick higher than, let's see, 14 teams are making the playoffs now. So higher than 20, 18, 18. Yeah, so they can't have a pick higher than 18 if they make the playoffs. So... Yeah, super weird situation. They should probably not make the playoffs and let Washington get in or let somebody else in their division get in. Washington would be the best situation as a Giants fan. If you're a Giants fan, you should not be wanting to make the playoffs. You should want the the Washington football team to make the playoffs because the Washington football team is also a team that I really like and has a lot of good young pieces, and they need a quarterback. And if they're the ones that get in the playoffs and you guys aren't, you guys can get your quarterback and they won't get a quarterback. And boom, now you have your division, at least. I mean, the Cowboys are probably going to have the the division once Dak Prescott comes back or if the Eagles get their stuff figured out. But at least you'll be on top of Washington. But anyways, talking about fantasy here, Chris Carson dominated the running back touches, was very good. And we did just have a recent report say from Pete Carroll that he's banged up and not 100%. But, I mean, he dominated the touches, and he seemed fine to me. So I'm not too worried about it. I'm sure he'll be fine moving forward. But beware of the Seattle wide receivers. I called it. I said they may underperform in this game. 
Now, to be fair, I did think it would be because Seattle would be controlling the game via the run. Seattle would be winning. That's why I thought the Seattle wide receivers would uh, be underperforming. So I can't just take a complete victory lap and act like exactly what I thought was going to happen happened. It was kind of a combination of analysis and luck at the same time because they got beat by New York's defense. That's why the wide receivers were not good. Wayne Gallman busted a 60-yard run and was much better than I expected. And once he busted that 60-yard run, I was like, oh, great. Now my sit, Wayne Gallman, is going to be bad. A bad call because after that 60-yarder, he should get the touchdown, right? Nope. Nope. Alfred Morris comes in and actually poaches two touchdowns. Two touchdowns from Wayne Gallman. So Wayne Gallman ends up having a much, uh, much less good day than he could have had. I can't say much worse because he did have 13 points, which is pretty good. And my feelings haven't changed with the wide receivers in New York. With Colt McCoy in, I'm out. With Colt McCoy in, I'm out on these wide receivers. Rams, Cardinals, and once Daniel Jones is back, the only one I have interest in is Sterling Shepard. Darius Slayton is a boom-bust guy and not one that's booms enough for me to have on a roster. Rams, Cardinals. So uh, Cam Akers got 78% of the carries. Yeah, we like to see that. Looked pretty good. One more week of this type of workload, and I am in on him as a rest-of-the-season flex. Not anything more than that, just because the offense did look really good in this game, which kudos to you, Sean McVay, for calling a great game, and Goff looking determined after being blamed for last week's loss by Sean McVay. Guys, I told you motivation is real. I told you motivation is real. There, We saw it. We saw it this week with Goff. And so Goff and McVay did make the offense look a lot better than it has this season, which I've been shitting on their offense all season compared to, you know, you know, relative to what they've been. They're, they're not a horrible offense, but relative to what they've been in their expectation, they've been pretty bad. Uh, and for fantasy purposes, where guys were drafted. But if they're able to be good, like they were in the Cardinals game, then Cam Akers can be better than a flex. But if they just are, you know, averaging what they've been averaging so far this season and Cam Akers takes over the main role, I would say he's a flex at best. But that's still really good because he's been a guy who's been on waivers for the past three, four weeks. So he's been somebody you could have definitely picked up. And nothing new happened with the Cardinals other than the lack of targets for Christian Kirk. Only three, super disappointing. And... Like I said, there there wasn't much too much to talk about here. Fantasy other than Cam Akers' breakout uh, for the Rams-Cardinals game. Then we have Eagles, Packers. Dallas Goddard is still the guy with Zach Ertz in the lineup. Just like, don't forget, just like before when Zach Ertz was in the lineup in the beginning of the season before he got hurt, Dallas Goddard was still the main guy, and that's still the case. I do think that Jalen Hurts looked decent. He's very good I mean, until the interception at the end of the game, but you have to think of the context, right? Once you're in the end of the game, you're losing by what the Eagles were losing by versus the Packers. You're trying to do whatever you can to get points on the board. You're going to force balls. You're going to make decisions that you wouldn't make unless you're in that circumstance. So I I don't hold that interception too much against Jalen Hurts. But other than that, before that, when the game was like, close and there was a lot more time on the clock and it was realistic that the Eagles could make a comeback I thought he looked really good and he's very good at not having negative plays why because of his legs his legs get him out of a lot of situations that Carson is not able to get out of and he makes really smart decisions when somebody's not open instead of you know screwing around in the backfield and just running running trying to avoid sacks and hoping for someone to come open and then inevitably getting sacked he runs out of the pocket, he runs and maybe gets a one plus one uh, yard run or a plus two yard run and goes out the sideline and, you know, s- saves the uh, the drive and lives to play another down. But I-, I hope he gets another chance. I do. I love Carson. You guys know I love Carson. I love them this offseason. But with every- everything that's happened, and it seems like, <clears throat> seems like either him or Doug Peterson has a like lost the locker room, which is very interesting because it seemed like all of the Eagles, once Jalen Hurts came in as quarterback, all of the Eagles were playing with a new type of energy, not just the offense, but the def- the defense too. Like as if the whole locker room has been waiting for this to happen. So I think Jalen Hurts should be the starter. They need to see what they have in this guy. I mean, the season is basically lost. They're also in a situation where making the playoffs because they're in the NFC least. I mean, they're not going to make a dent 
in the playoffs. They have no chance to win the Super Bowl, which you guys always hear me say when I talk about the Dolphins and the two of fits situation. The whole point of making the playoffs is to win the Super Bowl, right? What's the point of making the playoffs if you can't win it all? And I mean, yes, there's a point in terms of sales and stuff for like the owner, but that's not the perspective that we're looking from. So if you're not going to make a dent in the playoffs, you need to see what you have and, you know, run Jalen Hurts out the rest of the season. I think that that's what they should do. And he looked pretty good. So why not? Jalen Rager had a nice catch. No separation on that catch, but it was a nice catch. And that was from Jalen Hurts. So Jalen to Jalen. He also had a really nice return touchdown. Maybe his role will get a little bit better with Hurts. We'll see how that affects him. We'll also see if Miles Sanders is better with Jalen Hurts. He had 11 touches. Egregious. This was a crime against the state. 11 touches versus the Packers in a cold game. You can see everyone's breath. That means the ball should be in the running back's hands. Period. And they only gave him the ball 11 times. Super frustrating. Super frustrating. And I'm sorry. I'm really, really sorry. I apologize. To everyone that I told, start Miles Sanders over. Literally anyone you asked me about, he was probably worse. That was definitely my miss of the week. And yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say with Miles Sanders. You can't trust him, it seems like. And it's not his fault. It's because you can't trust Doug Peterson. But that's just how it is right now. Hopefully, uh, it's fine for the future. I'm not worried about him for Dynasty. If you're a Dynasty owner, I wouldn't panic. wouldn't sell Sanders. Keep him. He's going to be more valuable to you than what you'll be able to get for in trade, for sure. So I definitely am keeping Miles Sanders. Not worried for the future. But for this season, I'm pretty worried. What's new with the Packers? Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams. That's the offense. Next game, Patriots Chargers. Well, well, well. Justin Herbert got shut down by Bill Belichick. The rookie dominance by Belichick and his defenses continues as predicted. That defensive scheme was way too much for Herbert. Nobody, nobody is worth touching on that Pats offense except for maybe Cam Newton. And I'm still in all, still all in on the Chargers. So despite a 45-0 game and the Chargers being absolutely dominated by the Patriots. It's funny because the fantasy players I want are on the team that scored zero points for the rest of the season. I'm not worried about Herbert. I told you guys I expected this to be a very rough game for him. I definitely thought he would do better than one point something fantasy points. But Eckler, Keenan Allen, Herbert, that trio, I'm all in on the rest of the season. I'm not worried. Broncos, Chiefs. The Broncos came prepared. And I thought they would come prepared. As a defense, I thought that they would hold the Chiefs to under 30 points and the Chiefs would put like 28 points, 27 points up. But as you guys know, I took the Chiefs to cover their 14-point spread, which obviously missed. Um, And it's because the Broncos' offense came more prepared than I would have thought. I expected the Broncos' defense, they always played the Chiefs well, to play the Chiefs well. I just did not think that the Broncos' offense would put up as many points as they did. And that 65-yard run from Melvin Gordon really helped it. Um, You know, maybe they don't get points if it's not for that run. And maybe the Chiefs cover. But, hey, I I missed that one. But it's all right because we'll get into it. You'll see. You'll see. I told you it was a good week on start to sit. That's not the only thing that was a good week for me. And, um, yeah, so that offense was good. The Broncos wide receiver room continues to be a foggy mess. I'm not touching it. I'm not interested in Tim Patrick, who had two touchdowns on four catches. No thank you. The Chiefs do what the Chiefs do. Pass the ball. Therefore, Clyde, which, by the way, I mean, the Chiefs juked out everybody with Clyde. Oh, Clyde is playing. No, he's not. He didn't have any snaps. What do you mean? Why would you do that to us? I mean, what kind of competitive advantage are you getting over the Broncos by doing that? Like, I don't know, man. That was ridiculous. I'm really sorry for anybody who had Clyde. The only place I started Clyde, it doesn't, it didn't matter. I had the playoff by already locked up, so it didn't hurt me. But um, yeah, if you started Clyde, that's rough. I hope that's not the reason you lost because that's really unfair to you. But hey, fantasy's crazy all the time. And Le'Veon Bell, all alone, without Clyde, did nothing. Did absolutely nothing because, like I said, the Chiefs do what they do. 
and they passed the ball. Tyree Kill got robbed of two touchdowns. There was a baby holding call that I thought was honestly like silly that they called it. It didn't affect the play. The guy was not going to get to Mahomes, and it wasn't even like a big hold. It was nothing. It was a millisecond. Even when you slow it down on the replay, it doesn't even look like anything. So that was one touchdown Tyreek got robbed of when he did another backflip into the end zone after making another corner look stupid and fall. And then the other touchdown he got robbed of was one he didn't even realize he caught. It didn't touch anything. It like rested on his chest after it got bobbled around in the end zone. And he completely caught it, 100% not debatable. And it didn't get challenged by the Chiefs, which I don't know how they don't challenge that, how nobody saw that and was like, yo, that ball did not even get close to touching the ground. That was 100% a touchdown. There's no way you don't lose this challenge. Throw the challenge flag. There's nobody that did that for the Chiefs, which is weird. But And Tyreek Hill didn't even know he caught it. And I think that's probably the biggest reason why, because you would think, you know, if Tyreek Hill caught it, he would be telling us to look. But that was just weird. He got robbed two touchdowns, but he was still okay. Travis Kelsey was good per usual, and that's the wrap-up on that game. I'm not interested in the Broncos running backs. Melvin's huge run helped, but that's not something you can rely on. Melvin's never been a huge run type of guy. It's not something that happens for him. And Philip Lindsay, I still think, is better than Melvin Gordon, despite it not seeming like that in this game. But... You know, we'll see what happens. I'm not interested there. Then we got the Washington football team versus the Steelers. We're getting close to the end of the game wrap-ups. Antonio Gibson. It was a good run, man. I'm thinking he's going to be out two to three weeks with turf toe. And so you're probably not going to have him again for this fantasy season, which sucks. I have this guy everywhere. Antonio Gibson and Tyler Boyd are my two highest-owned fantasy players this season. So that really, really hurt me. Um, but he's probably a fringe RB1 next season. I, I think he's going to be in the 10 to 12 range. I, we talked about it earlier. Get him if you can. And keep an eye through the offseason on Washington's offensive additions. They will only help Antonio Gibson. All right, let's think about it. Washington gets another quarterback, helps Antonio Gibson. Because they'll be they'll have a better offense with more scoring opportunities. They will be on the field longer with drives being sustained more giving more opportunities for touches and eventually more red zone goal line opportunities more touchdown opportunities so a quarterback upgrade helps gibson a wide receiver if they get a wide receiver that's going to help gibson it's going to make the offense not just for defensive coordinators be hey let's stop terry let's start stop antonio no all of a sudden if they have a second wide receiver You've got two good wide receivers out there, and then Antonio Gibson. It's going to open up some running lanes for him. And if they add an O-lineman via the draft or through free agency in the offseason or trade or whatever, if they add an O-lineman, it's going to give him better blocking. So there are so many routes for Antonio Gibson to have a even better projection moving forward into next year, also seeing what they do with J.D. McKissick. So keep an eye out because... People, I I just have this feeling. I have a feeling people are going to be sleeping on Gibson. I really think people are going to be sleeping on him. So keep an eye out there. And obviously, I'll be talking about it throughout the offseason. So stay with me in the offseason, and you won't have to keep an eye on it because I'll be doing it for you and relaying the information. Terry McLaurin has his worst game of the season, while Sims and Thomas dominate with 18 targets and 190 yards between the two of them. But I'm not worried. It was a tough matchup. Alex Smith was being smart and looking elsewhere. Also, awesome upset by the Washington football team. A lot of people were thinking that this was a trap game. And that Washington D-line is why it's a trap game. And they are building a good team inside out. And I am here for it. I like what Ron Rivera is doing. Man, they've got Gibson. They've got McLaurin. They've got that D-line full of first-round picks. You've got... So many studs, Chase Young, Young, Montez Sweat, De'Aaron Payne, Jonathan Allen. That front four is young, promising, nasty, scary, and they're going to be there for a long time. And you've got that front four complete. You add some better coverage guys in the secondary, maybe add another linebacker or two. That defense is going to be nasty, which also 
also helps Antonio Gibson because they won't be in as many negative game scripts allowing Antonio Gibson to get more carries and also be on the field more because the defense gets off the field quicker and more often, the better they get. So, hey, a lot of things going for Gibson and that team in general. I really like it. I hope they're able to get a quarterback because I love Alex Smith. I love everything he's been able to do. That man is a soldier, but he's not the, the future. He's not the answer at the quarterback position for Washington. McKissick needs to be owned everywhere. We talked about him as a waiver pickup while Gibson is out. The Pittsburgh running backs were garbage. They played the tough D line, though. And the Pittsburgh wide receivers were actually not even today. I told you guys over the like last three, four weeks, it seems like they're always right there within five fantasy points of each other. There was a 15-point fantasy gap this week between Deontay Johnson, their high-scoring receiver, and Chase Claypool, their low-scoring receiver. So... That was the first time that it actually mattered which Pittsburgh wide receiver you started. I thought Juju was going to be the start, but Deontay Johnson was the one with the touchdown. And Juju, for some reason, was not getting many looks until like the last few drives. So he still ended up being okay in PPR, but definitely uh, not as good as I thought Juju was going to be. Lots of drops in this game from both sides. Deontay Johnson, Eric Ebron, you guys were the absolute worst with minimum two drops each. So, I mean, I was just like... I was actually watching this game with my dad, and we were just laughing. Like, these guys are professionals. They're getting paid millions of dollars. And if you break it down, man, if you break it down, these wide receivers in the NFL, depending on how much they make, but, like, I would say on average are getting $100,000 or $200,000 per catch. Per catch. If you're making $10 million on the season and you're getting $100,000, catches you're getting a hundred thousand dollars per catch if you're getting 50 catches you're getting two hundred thousand dollars per catch that is obnoxious you gotta catch the ball you got to with that said we can move to the hits and whiffs and guys i told you this might be my best start sick start sit week all season clutch timing let's dive into it the hits jonathan taylor had a 20 plus point day as a start for me on Thursday's podcast. So all of this is just related to what I talked about on Thursday. David Montgomery had a 25 plus point fantasy game as a slam for me. Carson, Chris Carson was a slam for me. He had an 18.5 point game. Derek Carr was a hesitant start for me, but he was amazing. About 30 points. I told you guys, sit the Houston running backs versus the Colts. David Johnson had the touchdown and he was still only at 10 points. Duke Johnson was under 10 points. Russell Wilson, I said, sit him if you could. If you could, if you had a better option, sit Russell Wilson. He had 12 points, second worst output on the year. I also said, temper your expectation for Justin Herbert and sit him if you have a better pivot, a better option. He had 1.36 points, worst output of the year. I also said, sit the Bills running backs. They combined for just about 10 points. You do it every time. You always sit the Bills running backs. And... My favorite part, my new favorite thing to talk about, the betting lines. Boys, we did it again. We took the under on the 42 over under line for the Bengals Dolphins. We took under on 42. The total points, 26. That was easy, easy money. Then we got the Patriots plus two. So when I talked about this line, I said, Okay, the line's not open yet. I don't see the line. But I would take the Patriots up to minus three. The Chargers are probably going to open as favorites, or it might be a pick em or whatever. But I would take the Patriots up to minus three. The Patriots were at plus two. Plus two. The Chargers were favored by two. And I said I'll take the Patriots up to minus three. Belichick has been amazing versus young quarterbacks. And you've got Belichick versus Anthony Lynn. I'm taking Belichick every time. And guess what? 45-0. Patriots covered. Wasn't even close. That was an easy one. Then we had the over-under on the Giants-Seahawks. It was at 47. I took the under. Or I should say we took the under if you're making these bets with me. And there was a total of 29 points. So we had the 42 over-under with Bengals-Dolphins. The points was 26. We saved and it was not even close. 47 for Giants-Seahawks. 29 points. We saved that one. Not even close. 
And then lastly, which, by the way, guys, that was three. That was three. Lastly, another over-under, 48 points. In the Bills 49ers game, we took the over, total of 58 points. So what does that mean? That means... Oh, yeah. We got the triple plus one. Four out of five again since starting this segment on the podcast last week. Four out of five. This week, four out of five. That is an eight and two record. We are making money. So I hope you guys are making these bets with me, which is awesome also because last week was just game picks. This week, we mixed in some over-unders, which I wasn't sure how accurate I was going to be on. But now I feel fully confident in both my over-under skills and my just game picking skills so hey eight and two we're gonna keep it going the rest of the season see how we finish out and uh i think the segment is here to stay guys i really do i really like it now let's talk about some whiffs all right the one betting line that we missed which i said was the chiefs we took them at minus 14 to cover versus the broncos the broncos offense definitely played better than i would have expected so we lost that one miles sanders i thought he was gonna go off everything pointed to it except for doug peterson and I underestimated his bad coaching skills. So Miles Sanders had a bad day. Denzel Mims disappointed with only two receptions for 40 yards. He looked good, but he wasn't good for fantasy. I thought he would be better than that. And then the last miss, this was a big one. So we had the Miles Sanders. That was a big one for me. And then this one was another big miss. But only two compared to as many things that we just went through as the hits. Great week. Sit Matt Stafford. I was telling you guys to sit him, and he went off for 400 yards, three touchdowns. I'm happy for him. He does know how to sling it, that's for sure. Um, So it's one I'm okay being wrong on. But hopefully, if you had Herbert or Russ or Stafford, you survived. Because, well, if you had Stafford on your bench, or if you had Russ or Herbert in your starting lineup, you survived. And with that said, I mean, that finishes the hits and whiffs. And we finished the game recaps and there's no buy lows or sell highs because trades are closed in most people's leagues above 80 percent so guys that brings us to the end if you like the podcast drop me a review it means so much it helps me so much and i am continuing to you know put in the research put in the work for you guys just give me that review means a lot and um yeah hope to hear hope to see you guys or let you guys hear me or whatever the proper way to say that is for a podcaster. But uh, I hope I am talking to you guys, there we go, on Thursday. And you guys are listening in because that means you are alive and you are looking for the starts and sits for next week. Hopefully next week can be as accurate as this week. We're going to keep everything going, especially the betting lines. And hope you guys have a great week. Hope your NFL team does great. Hope they had a good week this week. And I could say that because the Bucks didn't play. So Whoever your NFL team is, I hope they did good. And unless you are a Vikings fan, I hope your team does good in this coming week. Good luck, everyone. Have a great day. We're getting close to the holidays. If you guys celebrate, then, uh, you know, have a good holiday as well. With that said, I'm your host, Brandon Kabor. Peace.